Thank you for listening to the Institute of World Politics podcast. To learn more about our graduate programs in national security, international affairs, and intelligence, or to support our work in educating future leaders, please visit www.iwp.edu. All right. Good evening. Thank you for watching this virtual lecture event hosted by the Institute of World Politics. For those of you who are new, IWP is a graduate school of national security and international affairs. We have five master's degree programs, 18 certificates of study, and a new doctoral program. If you're interested in learning more about us, please visit iwp.edu. This evening, we'll be hearing from Mr. Paul Shemansky. Mr. Shemansky is a naturalized citizen of the United States. He was born in Gdansk and immigrated from Poland in 1989. He graduated from the Loyola University of Chicago in 1995 and obtained a Bachelor of Business Administration. He works as a cybersecurity engineer and is certified as a project management professional. The book Children of the Borderlands was his first translation from Polish to English. Mr. Szymanski, welcome, and thank you for joining us this evening. Uh, thank you. Um, I hope this lecture is going to be interesting uh, for all of you. Uh, so uh, there is a uh, time limit. So let me start uh, presenting um, uh, book, Children of the Borderlands. So greetings to all of you. I was asked by Professor Hodakiewicz to speak in front of you all about the book titled Children of the Borderlands by Dr. Lucyna Kuniska. It's a great honor, recognition, and opportunity to talk to people with a lot of experience and serious accomplishments. Before I start, let me thank you all for your time. I prepared an appendix for this lecture with a biography of Dr. Lucina Kulinska and list of her books and articles. I also included a list of books that you may be interested in when exploring this issue that I will cover. Please keep in mind that I have limited time to cover very rich and complex issues. At the end of the presentation, you will be able to ask questions. I also provided you with an email address if you would be interested to continue this conversation. So let's start. When I attend the seminar, I always ask myself if the information that I'm about to obtain is important and relevant to me, and if so, how? Is it just a nice trivia or is it relevant for my decision-making process, career, security, etc.? The book, Children of the Borderlands, is the case study relevant to the United States, a country that is young, powerful, made up of numerous ethnic and religious groups. Dr. E. Michael Jones compared the United States to former Yugoslavia. I would also see a lot of parallels to the first Polish-Lithuanian Republic. You may say, but Poland was a kingdom, not a republic. At this point, I would like to introduce concepts of logos, ethos, and pathos, holy trinity. Logos is defined as a language and reason. You have to have a language to rationally express abstract concepts. One of the abstract concepts is the Republic, which is one of many ways human organize themselves. Republic as a concept was developed by Latin civilization. We all read Plato's Republic. It is unique to Europe. Word Republic comes from Latin, word, uh, Latin words, Respublica which stands for public affair or common good, common interest. Poland has been referred in Latin as Respublica or Rzeczpospolita in Polish, or often as Commonwealth. Professor Felix Konecny said that there are only two political systems on which the people can be organized. In first, people, citizen, nation, based and depend their existence on the well-being of the state. In the second, system. A state is based and depends its existence on people, citizens, nation. For example, Prussia of Kaiser Bismarck versus United States of George Washington, socialist state versus republic. I hope we all read Declaration of Independence. I hope we all understand the phrase e pluribus unum. The first Polish constitution is known as Nihil Novi. It was established in 15. 05, the full phrase from which the name of this constitution was derived is nihil novis in communi consensus, which can be translated to no new laws can be passed without communal consensus of all people, citizens, or stakeholders. This is a very important point. Poland has, a Poland has been a stronghold of Latin civilization. Polish logos, ethos, and pathos come from Latin and Catholic understanding of what it's the nature of the state, its role, the people, 
the stakeholders who participate in creation and development of the state, e pluribus unum. This rather lengthy introduction is important to understand this book. This, this is the key to understand the Rvuf Oath of 1656, written by Saint Andrew Bobola, a Jesuit martyr for the faith. This is a key under, uh, to understand Bar Confederation of 1768 and the Solidarity Movement of 1980. Children of the Borderlands is a collection of eyewitness accounts of people who, as children, survived genocide perpetrated by Ukrainians and Polish population of four administrative provinces, Lvov, Volhynia, Tarnopol, Stanisław. This, this volume two uh, of four volumes series, the genocide um, is usually referred as Volhynia massacre. But as you can see on the map, the area covered by these tragic events is much larger. Furthermore, the genocide spread to additional three provinces, Kraków, Lublin, and Polesie. In a moment, I will explain uh, this, uh, why this is important. However, this volume does not cover the rest of the uh, districts. The following is more detailed map of 4,500 uh, villages, hamlets, towns, and cities where Poles were brutally slaughtered by Ukrainians from 1939 to 1947. Please note the density and distribution of these uh, murders. Let me present another important map, which is included in the book on page 34. It shows the saturation and usage of Polish language in 1905. Please keep in mind that in 1905, there was no Polish state, yet the usage of Polish language was strong, Logos language. As I mentioned earlier, the language is the medium through which ideas are expressed and thoughts are being expressed. Those who are familiar with Napoleon's invasion of Russia should quickly understand this map. We have two gates to the east. The first is called Smolensk Gate, and the second is the Lvov Gate. In the middle, you have Polesian marshes. During World War II, Germans used both gates to invade uh, the Soviet Union. However, the bulk of the action was on so-called Ukrainian front, or as Russian referred to it, Russia's soft underbelly. During World War I, the whole Volhynia region was a massive and bloody battlefront that is largely forgotten by the historians. It's worth noting that the book, uh, that in the book, there are several accounts from the Kovel region. There were two major tank battles in Kovel Dubno region during World War II. The first tank battle for Dubno Brody in, in June 1941 was a massive in scale and comparable to famous Kursk offensive. The battle on the same line Kovel Dubno in January 44 was equal to Kursk. It was Dnieper-Karpatian offensive. It is, it, is, um, it is important to understand the obstacles that Polish population of Kovel region faced during World War II. There's obvious difference in usage of the Polish language between the Smolensk Gate and Lwów Gate. The difference was caused by historical events. Poland was a republic, kingdom, and a union of two independent countries, Kingdom of Poland and Grand Duchy of Lithuania. This is another parallel to the United States, which is a federation of independent states. The two countries were united with Union of Lublin in 1569, but the unification process started with the Union of Krewo in 1385. This was not an easy process. So let's take a look at the Kingdom of Poland and Grand Duchy of Lithuania in 14th century. The official lang legal language in the Kingdom of Poland was Latin, which was later replaced by Polish. Latin is an official language of the Catholic Church. The laws were written in Latin. Catholic means universal. So the idea was to have relatively uniform, universal law through all Catholic countries. Latin also allowed the spread of knowledge through the entire Catholic Europe. It was a common denominator. The official language of the Grand Duchy of Lithuania was Ruthenian, a language with the Cyrillic alphabet, an alphabet that was developed in Bulgaria and it's closely associated with Christian Greek Orthodox Church. Back then, 
Orthodox Christians and Jews considered Latin alphabet as alphabet of the devil. After the union of Krewo, Latin and Polish languages started to replace Ruthenian as a language of the law. This process stopped with the, with the first partition of Poland in 1772, and Russian language became the legal language of the land. Here's the map of Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth republics at, at its peak. Another factor <clears throat> of the expansion of Latin civilization in Polish language was the establishment of universities and counter-reformation. The first Polish university, the Jagiellonian University, was established in Kraków in 1364 by Casimir the Great, the last king from the Piast dynasty. The other two universities were established at the entrances uh, to the Smolensk and Lvov gates. University of Vilno, Vilnius, which, is, which was established in 1579 by King Stefan Batory. Basically, it was an upgrade from the Jesuit college. University of Lvov was established in 1661 by King Jan Kazimierz Vaza. And again, it was an expansion of the Jesuit college. The Jesuits also established a college in Kiev in 1632. That was the peak of the Catholic expansion to the East. The Treaty of Hajaj from uh, 1658 ended this expansion and can be treated as the beginning of the end of the first Polish Republic. It, is also, it also initiated the retreat of Catholicism from the entire territory of former Grand Duchy of Lithuania. Today, the Curzon Line marks the most eastward expansion of Catholicism. The other major factor of uh, the late expansion of Polish language in the southeast part of Poland were constant wars with Mongols, Tatars, Cossacks, Turks, and Moldavians. The whole region east of Kraków was ravaged by Mongols in 13th century when the Golden Horde reached Europe. The St. Mary's trumpet call that is played in Krakow every hour on the hour reminds people of the catastrophe brought by the Mongols. In the appendix, I listed an epic trilogy novel by Henryk Sienkiewicz, which explains so-called wild plains, where Tatars and Cossacks ravaged entire cities and sold captured people to slavery in Turkey. The famous Polish poet Jan Kochanowski, who, considered, who is considered the father of the Polish language, wrote an epic poem about the pillage of Podolia by Tatars and Turks. Another parallel uh, between present day United States and the first Polish Republic is the ethnic diversity of the state. First Polish Republic was multi-ethnic state with six major religions, Catholic, Russian, Orthodox, Islam, Greek Catholic, Orthodox, Protestant and Judaism. Poland converted to Catholicism in year 996, but Grand Duchy of Lithuania officially became Catholic in 1413. The marriage of Polish Queen Saint Jadwiga of Anjou to Duke of Lithuania Władysław II Jagiełło marks the official Christianization of the Duchy of Lithuania. But was Jagiełło pagan? Most likely he was already a Christian. He most likely was a Christian Orthodox. And again, accepting Catholicism was a gradual process that was not adopted by everyone in Grand Duchy of Lithuania. The genocide committed on Poles during World War II and prior to it has religious roots, which become obvious to anyone who will read these eyewitness accounts. The US is also a multi-ethnic state with six major religions. Catholic, Protestant, Islam, Judaism, Mormonism, and atheism. Atheism is also a religion. Professor Felix Konecny stated that the first Polish Republic failed because it tried to synthesize Eastern civilization with the Latin civilization. Professor Konecny stated that the human cannot be civilized both ways. One of the most obvious examples of such synthesis is the Union of Brest of 1595. The Ruthenian Orthodox Church broke off relationship with the Eastern Russian Greek Orthodox Church and joined Catholic Church. All of the Ukrainians who committed genocide on Pauls described in this book were Greek Catholics. The case of Prince Jeremy Vishniewiecki is the best example of the religious tensions within the First Polish Republic. His father was poisoned by the Orthodox priest during the communion, most likely on wife's order. Because of this event, 
Prince Jeremy Vishniewiecki con uh, converted to Catholicism. Professor Felix Konechny stated that it's not possible to synthesize civilizations. Such attempts will always lead to violence and more ruthless civilization will overpower any opponent who has scruples. The conquest of Anatolia, present-day Turkey, is the best example. The same ethnic religious tensions exist in the US, similarly to Poland, these tensions are being ruthlessly exploited by numerous interest groups within the US and outside powers. The first Polish Republic was multi-ethnic state. There were Poles, Ruthenians, Lithuanians, Germans, Jews, Armenians, Tatars, Cossacks, Hungarians, Czechs, Moldavians, and people who identified themselves as the locals. The national identity, identity was superseded by religion. Catholics were generally considered as Polish, Ruthenians were Orthodox Christians, Protestants were Germans, etc. Similarly to the US, the binding that held the state together was a combination of the law and its enforcement, economy, religion, as well as social status of the individual within the, within the population. This is yet another parallel to the United States. Everything works as long as people can meet their aspirations and are equally protected by the law. The problem starts when the multi-ethnic state is overrun by corruption and outside pressures. In most, most cases, you end up with Lebanon, Yugoslavia, Imperial Russia, ancient Rome, Byzantine Empire, Habsburg Empire, just to name a few examples. Currently, we observe similar pressures in the US. The social reengineering of the US after World War II led to the second even more profound and deeper re-engineering that is being conducted by big tech and the oligarchs, which, lead, which will lead to social scoring system and the caste system worse than in India. It will end in disaster. Dr. E. Michael Jones stated that immigrants in the US lose their ethnic identity in the third generation. Their ethnic identity is being replaced by religious identity in a very broad sense of this word. Atheism is a religion. Political and social beliefs can turn into a religion. I must emphasize that religion does not equal lack of reason, nor is equal to irrational obsession. It is natural for people to seek identity to answer fundamental questions. Who am I? Since my mother is Italian, my dad is German, I was born in the US, what is my identity? Am I an American? Am I a Catholic? Am I German or Italian? It will not, I will not comment on the Pocahontas joke by President Trump, but it is along the same identity line. These issues become deeper and more complex with multiracial and multi-ethnic marriages. Mr. Biden and Mr. Trump have Jewish in-laws. Both are Christians. Mr. Biden claims to be Catholic. One has to wonder how for, uh, both of them celebrate Pascal Tridium and what it means to both of them. How do they celebrate Good Friday? Do they have Eastern Sunday family dinner? Children of the Borderlands also mention this issue. Often a Ukrainian <clears throat> father brutally murdered his Polish wife and his children along with his in-laws in the name of pure blood ideology. Ivan Gonta, one of the leaders of Uman Massacre from 1768, murdered his Polish wife and children, whom he considered to have Polish blood. The Ukrainians erected monument to Ivan Gonta and Maxim Zeliznyak, the leaders of Uman Massacre. There is even an annual government festival to celebrate their accomplishment. So the identity or lack of it could be a very powerful force that can be exploited. Another very important thread in this book is the role of foreign intelligence services. Dr. Kulinska wrote a very detailed book on terrorist and sabotage operations of OGN, Organization of, of Ukrainian Nationalists. The full title is in the appendix. The book has not been translated into English. Uh, basically, the origins of the Ukrainian nationalist movement are traced all the way to the Austrian intelligence service. The Austrian created this monster in the middle of 19th century as a counterbalance to Poles and a way to pacify them. The Austrian also used Jews as countermeasure against Poles. In both cases, Austrians successfully play on religious and ethnic animosities. 
They were not alone. The same techniques were used by Prussian Germans and Russians. The own was later taken over by German Abwehr and aided by Czechoslovakian intelligence. The Russian NKVD and later KGB also penetrated and exploited own for their own interest. The individual human cost was irrelevant to people who deliberately created this monster. After World War II, the own was taken over by American CIA, British MI6, and German BND. The logos ethos pathos of today's Ukraine is built on dubious glory of genocidal psychopaths from Own UPA who committed crimes described in this book. The ethos of Own UPA and today's Ukraine is summarized by an epic poem by Taras Shevchenko titled Heidemax, which glorifies mass murder of Poles and Jews during the massacre of Uman in 1768. This is done deliberately. This is a social engineering project cooked up by special forces. It will end up in enormous disaster, which will devour thousands of innocent people. We must keep in mind that the, there were several mass genocide of Poles in that region. The first genocide, uh, genocidal massacre started in 16th century. One example is a proxy war called Nalivaiko uprising from 1594 which is now presented as Ukrainian struggle for independence. This is yet another parallel to, parallel to the United States in the case of George Floyd. The next one was Khmelnytsky uprising of 1648. Then you had massacre of Uman in 1768. Another staged genocide was Galician slaughter of 1846. And finally, Volhynia the genocide of 1939-47. Unfortunately, this will not be the end. Just by looking at frequency, one could even say that another genocide in the region is overdue. The Ukrainian ideology was synthesized by Dmytro Donsov in the Decalogue of the Ukrainian Nationalists, which I translated in the book. The original text states the following. I, the spirit of eternal struggle that saved you from the Tatar deluge and put you between two worlds, I commend a new life. First, you will, re <clears throat> you will regain a Ukrainian state or will die fighting for it. Two, you will not let anyone stain the fame or honor of your nation. Three, remember the great days of our liberation struggle. Four, be proud that you are the heir to the knights of uh, <clears throat> the, uh, the heir for the fight for the glory of Vladimir Strident. Five, avenge the death of great knights. Six, do not talk about the cause with anyone, but only with those who are relevant. Seven, you will not hesitate to commit the greatest crime when the good of the cause requires it. Eight, with hatred and trickery, you will deceive enemies of your nation. Nine, neither pleas nor threats, torture or death will force you to re reveal secrets. Ten, you will strive to expand the strength, fame, wealth, and the territory of Ukrainian state, even by subjugating foreigners. Donsov book, Nationalism, and his Decalogue are foundation of the contemporary Ukrainian state. Almost exact views are also promoted by Russian ideologist uh, Alexander Dugin. Many contemporary socialists in the US followed similar line of thought. This issue is explained in great detail by Dr. Viktor Polishchuk, Ukrainian scholar who studied in great detail the psychopathic ideology. I included the list of his books in the appendix to this lecture. In short, Ukrainian goals is to unite all Ukrainian lands into one state. Allow me to quote a popular Ukrainian phrase, which can be translated to remember Paul that everything to the Vistula line is ours, which includes Krakow. Here's some of the examples of maps that illustrate those claims. Dr. Polishchuk in his book dives deeper into this problem. One could say that this is pure lunacy. I completely disagree with such a statement. Here's a map that shows Ukrainian language as primary setting on the cell phones. 
the south of Poland from Przemysl all the way to the border with Germany on Nysa River contains the majority of Polish natural resources, coal, copper, oil, gas, gold, silver, uh, sulfur, etc. Recently, gigantic gold deposits were discovered near Opole. They are estimated, estimated at 5,000 metric tons of pure gold. The gold reserves of the US are estimated at 8,100 tons of gold. Poland's annual gold production is estimated at six to 10 metric tons of gold. The upper and lower, lower Silesia are regions that are contested by Germany, a country that has almost no natural resources. There are about 1.2 to 2 million Ukrainian immigrants in Poland. At the same point, Poland will face same problems as Serbs in Kosovo. This is inevitable. The map that I'm showing uh, supports my statement. The combination of violent Ukrainian ideology with the support of foreign intelligence will create another genocide. The question is not if, but when it will happen. It must be stressed that key element of Ukrainian nationalist ideology is deception. It has been mentioned in the Decalogue and in the testimonies in the book that I translated with my friend Kuba. The eyewitness accounts clearly illustrate how deception was used by Ukrainians to commit this genocide. Dr. Kulinska and Dr. Polishchuk explored deception in greater detail in the book I listed in the appendix. The concept of intermarium, which is championed by Dr. Khodakiewicz, is based on two main premises. The first one is Giedroyd doctrine, which advocates the creation of independent states on the line from the Baltic state, uh, from the Baltic Sea to the Black Sea. All these <clears throat> states would bury their hatchets and work toward containing the Russians and in the process enrich themselves through trade and cooperation. True, I oversimplified this doctrine. It is a lot more complex. However, Giedroyd's doctrine completely undermines Poland as the state. It also requires Poland to rewrite its history. It requires Poland to forget the brutal and unprecedented genocide of 250,000 Poles that were murdered by Ukrainians from 1939 to 1953. Professor Timothy Snyder already started to rewrite Polish history to fit the narrative of intermarium in his book, The Reconstruction of Nations. The second premise is that it is possible to create a buffer region with enough political, economical, and military power that would deter eventual, and eventually transform Russia into a more civilized state, which will not be a menace for the entire region. This is a pipe dream. This is topic for another discussion. I strongly recommend a book by Dr. J.T. Kotiliani on the history of Russian trade in the 17th century. This trade built Russia of 19th century. <clears throat> um, The 19th century was Russian as well as Austrian and German golden age. Russian golden age sank at the bottom of Tsushima Strait in 1905. The Austrian and German glitter was buried in the trenches of World War I. These are <clears throat> the consequences of the partition of Poland. At this point, I would also direct all of you to works by Professor Anthony C. Sutton, which I listed in the appendix. Basically, the current trend is to return to political and social status from the 19th century. This idea is also proposed by Alexander Dugin in his psychopathic writings. We must not forget the role Russia plays in the politics of Far East. I would recommend books by Dr. Jonathan Dispense, especially The Search for Modern China. Ukraine is a failed state. That is a fact. However, powerful backers in the US, Canada, England. It has powerful back, backers in the US, Canada, England, Germany, and France. But there are also other very, very powerful players in, Ukrainian, uh, in Ukraine, like Russia, Turkey, Israel, and even Italy. This is serious game. Poland is outclassed on this stage at every level. Poland does not even understand the stakes of the game. 
I think most Poles do not comprehend the meaning and the symbol is of the Zygmuntus column that stands in front of the royal castle in uh, Warsaw. Polish approach to Ukraine, or I should say to Intermarium, is naive and childish, full of wishful thinking and not much more. In the book, Children of the Borderlands, I hinted on the problem of Intermarium by showing bridges on the Dniest River that were built before World War II. Poles were trying to revive their historical trade routes to the east. However, the idea was shut down by, German, uh, by the invasion of Germany and the Soviet Union and the partition of Poland. At the end, Poland lost World War II. Any criticism of Intermarium an idea cooked up by Piłsudski and Polish Freemasons is shut down by vicious attacks from, uh, from its proponents who hold prominent positions in government as well as in academia. Anyone who exposes historical background and flaws of intermarium gets the label of Putin's stooge. The reason logos, rational thought, is tossed aside and suppressed. The Polish Eastern border is basically a Curzon line uh, established by the Germans, uh, which is a demarcation line established by Germans and Soviet Union in the Ribbentrop-Molotov uh, Pact. Uh, George F. Kennan stated that present Polish Eastern border would not allow Poland to develop into an independent and more uh, modern state and he was absolutely right. Professor Stephen Kotkin, who during one of his lectures stated that he's a Russian patriot, said that the region between Russia and Germany is nothing more than a demarcation zone between these two nations. This statement alone uh, negates intermarium, but, <clears throat> but any right and any right of self-determination of the nations that occupy uh, this demarcation zone. So Poland is on a collision course with its powerful allies. We must not forget the Kosovo case, Trump's new deal with Palestinians, the Budapest Accord with Russia regarding Crimea, the US deal with Kurds, and the nuclear treaty with Iran. These are just few examples of failed policies that cause genocides. Time will show how this will end. The brutality and savagery of this genocide does not have parallel in modern history. People were skinned alive, children were brutally tortured, impaled, boiled, tossed alive into the fire, etc. Only very few serial killers engage in such savagery. Yet entire families and villages brutally murdered their neighbors and often uh, their Polish relatives. This must be studied and explained. As I mentioned already, this type of genocide happened in the past with the same savage brutality most uh, what motivates people to commit such, such crimes. After all, they are Christians. Final note, crime and punishment. Unfortunately, none of the perpetrators of this genocide, genocide were prosecuted. Furthermore, people like Nikola Lebied, who was the architect of this genocide, got protection from the US government and became the U United States citizen. On the orders of Alan Duels, the director of CIA, he even donated his library to Harvard University. In the appendix, I included an official statement of the government of the United States regarding murderous and psychopathic own. Yet there is a case of Frank Walisz. He was Polish-American charged by Simon Wiesenthal with, crimes, uh, with war crimes and crimes against humanity. Frank Walisz was stripped from his US citizenship, then reinstated, the case was dropped. The charges, were, the charges were baseless. However, his whole life was ruined and he died of stress in 1995. Mr. Wiesenthal knew very well that people like Yaroslav Stechko or Nikola Leviev or any war criminal protected by the CIA were completely out of his reach. Polish government has several institutions that are obligated by law to hunt down criminals com who committed genocide on Polish citizens, regardless of their ethnic or religious background. Institute of National Rem Remembrance is one of those institutions. However, it does 
do it does not do anything to hunt down those criminals either deliberately stalls investigations so the perpetrators could die in peace it is very difficult to compile accurate list of the people who were responsible for this genocide polish historians will not touch this topic because it will because it will end their careers this topic ended the career of dr kulinska she was not allowed to obtain her habilitation. She, was, she also survived two assassination attempts. People who actually survived this genocide and those who try to commemorate are being prosecuted in Poland by Polish prosecutors. The survivors are being taunted by Polish uh, ABW, Polish FBI, before any commemorative events. The monument of Volhynia genocide was has been virtually arrested at the foundry so it's a big problem and most likely it will be resolved through violence children of the borderlands is a book with multiple uh, threats a lot of layers in my lecture i did, did not cover the symbolism which i included in the book for example the cult of our lady of the snows and the four, uh, four of the leaves incorporated in the cross of Polish scouts. Flor de leaves refers to filament and filarets associ association, and it's a link to Queen Saint Jadwiga of Anjou. I designed this book to keep, give, uh, to keep giving something new every time you open it. It is a case study especially relevant in times when the US would not be able to fulfill its obligation to allies such as Japan, Taiwan, Egypt, Israel. A good book is one which the reader to which the reader returns. I think you will return to this book. It will serve you as a reference. It will keep on giving. I hope you enjoy my presentation. Are there any questions? Great, thank you, Yeah, Now we'll transition to um, Q&A. So if you have a question um, for Mr. Shemansky, please feel free to ask in, our, in the Q&A button at the bottom of your Zoom screen. So we do have a few questions coming in. Um, the first question, uh, what outside powers exercise the most influence over the tensions between the Poles and Ukrainians? What lessons can the US learn from such interference? Um, from what I've noticed, uh, that's my personal opinion, and the same opinion is shared by uh, Dr. Kulinska. There are two major powers, obviously uh, Russia, and the second one is uh, the United States. Uh, another power that plays a vital role in this uh, region is Germany. Next question. Um, currently, Poland and Ukraine have generally good relations. What is the best way for them to continue maintaining such a positive approach? I would disagree with that. I mean, the relation, the so-called good relationships are on a uh, government level, but they are not uh, um, between people and uh, the tension. The main, uh, for example, Ukraine, uh, banned any exhumation of uh, Polish victims uh, of the genocide and also any exhumation of Polish soldiers who died during World War I, uh, World War II and Polish Soviet uh, Union, uh, uh, the Polish Soviet Union War of 1920. Uh, Ukraine uh, uh, rejects any um, statement that the genocide uh, committed on Polish population um, during World War II is a it was a genocide. They, were, they are questioning the numbers, they are questioning uh, the entire genocide. They are also putting a lot of pressure, for instance, not to uh, erect the monument that you see. So those are uh, superficial relationships. Uh, Poland uh, from uh, what we see is a clearinghouse uh, of the aid that's sent to Ukraine uh, from United States and Canada. Um, uh, Ukraine never rejected um, uh, own UPA uh, 
as uh, murderous gangs. Uh, moreover, they actually uh, embrace them as uh, liberators and fighters for independence of Ukraine. So uh, to give you an example, I mean, U United States and Vietnam uh, were at war and uh, United and a lot of Vietnamese and Americans die in, uh, in, in the war in the 60s and 70s. However, uh, the relationship between the United States and, uh, and Vietnam were largely repaired and uh, both sides search for, uh, PO, uh, for POWs. They're searching for people uh, who died during that conflict. And uh, a lot of Americans, uh, American soldiers are being brought back to the United States. That's not the case in, uh, uh, with Polish victims uh, of the genocide or even Polish soldiers who died during the conflicts um, on the territory that's occupied in, in, uh, in Ukraine. Ukraine also does everything to uh, destroy any Polish legacy uh, on, on those territories. Um, for example, there are constant uh, conflicts uh, uh, regarding uh, uh, the cemetery of uh, Polish soldiers in Lvov. Uh, uh, they, um, they even imprisoned the lions that were uh, uh, they, that they are at the gate of the, at the entrance of the cemetery. Um, Ukrainians also. Uh, rename a lot of towns and they erect uh, monuments to people who literally murdered uh, Poles en masse. And uh, I listed several of those, several of those monuments in the book of children of the border, borderlands. So again, those relationships are superficial. So they are good on paper. That's what you read in the news. But not in reality. Next question, um, was any of this covered in the media? And if so, how and from what perspective? The media coverage is very limited. And, um, and the whole event is almost unknown, only to professional scholars, uh, historical scholars. Uh, this genocide is known. Um, it's not covered and probably it's not going to be covered in the media because, again, it touches uh, very uh, sensitive topics. Um, uh, for instance, uh, Mikola Lebyev, uh, he's the, he, he was basically a, a genocidal psychopath who, uh, who became a U.S. citizen. Uh, so the question is, you know, how come United States... Uh, tolerated this guy and uh, gave him United States citizenship, right? This case alone can expose a lot of problems uh, within the U.S. Uh, government and uh, will shed a really bad light on, on the role of CIA and supporting of Mikola Lebyev, you know, from, from the entrance, from the time he entered the United States all the way to, to his death. And I could even say that uh, Nikola Lebyev is probably the father of modern Ukraine. One of the attendees asked, well, said that this, that your talk um, reminds him or her of the Balkan ghosts. Did you see these similarities as well? Uh, I don't think so. Um, the uh, historical background is different than uh, than uh, the uh, than among the Balkan states. So, the uh, former Yugoslavia, which you refer as Balkan states, uh, was largely uh, it was occupied for most of its time by Turkey, by Ottoman Empire, right? And so uh, um, the recreation of uh, the 
or creation of Yugoslavia as, as, a, as a state um, oh, was completely different than uh, um, the creation of Poland after uh, World War I. So no, I, I don't see any parallels between these two events or situations. Next question, uh, where do the Belarusians fit into this issue? Uh, some of the, uh, well, this goes back to the creation of, uh, I mean, the, the Polish-Lithuanian um, Commonwealth, Polish-Lithuanian common, I mean, a lot of people don't, understand that Lithuania uh, was not uh, uh, Duchy of Lithuania was not occupied by Lithuanians. A majority of the of the of the duchy they were Ruthenians. Okay? And so uh, Belarusia, you know, was uh, current Belarusia is was carved out uh, from uh, former uh, uh, from former lands of uh, Grand Duchy of Lithuania um, after uh, World War One by the Soviet uh, by the Soviet Union, okay. they called uh, Belarusia. Uh, they created the Belarusian um, Republic, right? Soviet Republic, and after World War Two. They basically expanded uh, Belarusian Republic uh, further west, and when the Soviet Union uh, collapsed, uh, that Soviet Republic became an independent state. Um, part of the uh, part of the land of Belarusia is contested by Ukraine. And that could be a very big problem because I don't think Belarusia would uh, give up any of its land uh, for neither of the countries, uh, Poland or, or Ukraine. I mean, right now we can say that uh, Belarusia is uh, is independent state and with very secured borders. So unless there's going to be a conflict uh, between this, the Russia and the Western powers, I don't think there's going to be any change uh, as far as the, the, the borders goes. What do you believe should be the Polish government's approach to immigration from Ukraine? Uh, that should be... Uh, First of all, I mean, they have to uh, create a list of people who uh, who are members of OWN or support Ukrainian nationalism. It, it's a must. These people should be banned uh, from entering Poland at any circumstances. These are they are extremely dangerous people. They're terrorists. I mean, there's no question about it. I mean, the, their whole ideology is, uh, is basically psychopathic. Um, Poland should limit num uh, should limit uh, immigration from Ukraine um, because the influx of influx of such a large number of Ukrainians eventually will lead to. Uh, political concessions and they could vote as uh, as a block and they will vote as a block so uh, that will change political system uh, within Poland and they will ask for uh, certain uh, concessions and if you add the Ukrainian nationalist ideology to this mix you, you are creating a bomb so I would, I would be very, very careful with Ukrainian immigration to Poland. I would limit uh, to minimum. 
Next question, uh, what can the U.S. learn from the tragic history of ethnic tensions between Poles and Ukrainians, and what is the most important factor in this? Uh, we, the U.S. government has to recognize that uh, here in the United States, there are groups that try to stir ethnic uh, animosities, okay? ethnic and racial animosities. And we can see that in the movement of so-called uh, Black Lives Matter, that's one of them. Um, and so uh, antagonizing uh, people with, uh, with labels like fascists, white nationalists, uh, what is it? Uh, what else do they call them? Um, uh, American nationalists, etc. Uh, those type of games have been played since the Roman Empire. Um, they have to be stopped. If they they are not stopped, they can uh, they can escalate to uh, something that uh, could cause huge tragedy in the United States. So they, they have to change the language uh, in the media and stop antagonizing people. That, that's, that's the key. It's, it's obvious. I mean, it, it is the message that's being sent through media is, is really bad. We have time for one more question. Um, do you think a repeat of historic genocide is still likely? Yeah, yeah. I mean, genocides are not a phenomenon. Uh, they they happened uh, quite often in, in our history. I mean, Armenian uh, genocide uh, is one of the, the largest genocides uh, perpetrated in the 20th century, right? And after that, you know, you had uh, a genocide of uh, Ukrainians uh, uh, that was perpetrated by Stalin, uh, with over 6 million uh, Ukrainians uh, were starved to death, right? Mm. Then you had uh, genocide of uh, Polish and Jewish population of Europe, right? Uh, you had the genocide of Yugoslavia. So this is not something that, uh, uh, this is nothing new, I and mean, it happens. I mean, and a lot of those genocides are staged for political gains. That's, that's, the, that's the fact. All right. Well, I believe that's all the time that we have um, this evening and all the questions that came in. Um, I would like to thank uh, Mr. Shemansky for joining us this evening and all of you tuned in here on Zoom and Facebook. If you're interested in attending other upcoming webinar events, supporting IWP or applying to one of our graduate programs, please go to iwp.edu. Again, that's iwp.edu. Thank you, everyone. Thank you so much. I appreciate it.